The verse I'm working with this morning is 1 Corinthians 13, 12. For we now see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. As a child, I understood faith as the adherence and submission to a set of permanent, external, and irrefutable truths. These truths were straight from God, immutable and hard like bricks. And God had given these truths, these cemented bricks, to his people. And these people, who knew infinitely more than I, laid them down one by one, forming an indestructible edifice. Faith, as I understood it, was making my bed in that unyielding fortress. My job, as I understood it, was to stay in that dwelling at all costs, mixing mortar to patch up any holes that misguided people or forces tried to poke through those truth bricks. During this time I was in elementary school, my mom took me to a pet store. She let me pick out a pet that she thought we both could handle, a hermit crab. I picked out the hermit crab that I wanted, or more accurately, I picked out a shell and bonus, a crab came with it. And I took that shell crab home and that's all I remember about the crab. I wish I had more memory of her. Did I lose her under the couch? Did she switch shells? I'm pretty sure she did not enjoy the average lifespan of 15 to 20 years that the BBC Earth special Hermit Crabs tells me she should have. In fact, BBC has taught me a couple more things about these unique creatures. Hermit crabs change shells every four to eight weeks because they grow out of their shells and they need to find a new home. They don't grow their own shells, but they find them from, from other animals who have died. Some hermit crabs live up to 70 years old, and as long as they are living, they are growing and procuring new homes to inhabit. If they stop growing, if they stop finding new homes, that's because they're dying. And turns out, hermit crabs aren't even crabs at all. They do not have full exoskeletons, but they have soft bodies like us. BBC even specified that they are really like humans. They have soft bums that they have to cover up, or they'll get scorched in the sun or lunch to a predator. And sometimes they can't fit in their own shell, and yet they can't find a new one to adopt. So some courageous or foolish or simply left with no other option crabs will still leave their ill-fitting shell, making a leap of necessary and desperate faith to find a new home in time. I wish my parents would have purchased cable for our family's television because I could have used some faith lessons from BBC. Thanks be to YouTube, I'm finding those today. Let me explain more. When I was in college, a Christian education professor, Jerry Root, explained that faith was iconoclastic. For those not studying for the SAT, let me remind you that iconoclastic is an adjective that describes persons or things that break images, especially religious images. Professor Rood explained that as people of faith, we have understandings of what is true. Or as Paul writes, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully. 
On this side of heaven, we see in part. To the best of our abilities, we create images, frames, and beliefs that can hold our approximations of truth. And as we grow and become more of who we are, as that of God reveals itself to us, as we experience the brutality and beauty of this life, our initial image, our frame, our understandings crack. They can no longer hold the complexity of our experience or the fullness of who we are. We're pushed to step out of the home that we created for ourselves and sometimes with a leap of desperate and necessary faith, we search for a yet not yet seen home that can hold us. If this is getting too metaphorical, let me share a specific example from my own life. I used to think that God gave us the structure of marriage and that one man and one woman were called to endure virtually anything and everything to preserve their marriage and honor God. In college, my parents' marriage ended. The people I trusted at church gave me the same explanations and answers which I had been trying to convince myself. But these answers did not fit. They fell short. It was as if we were frenetically mixing mortar to patch up holes while the bricks themselves were crumbling. I needed to find a new frame for my parents' marriage, their divorce, and my faith one that was big enough to hold my experience. Like the growing hermit crab in an ill-fitting shell, I needed to find a new home. I did that. It was a home where divorce and Christianity could live together. Iconoclastic faith, breaking one image and creating one anew. A few years later, my beloved Sunday school teacher from our conservative church came out gay and he is on the phone today. And I knew Anita, I knew her love for, commitment to, and relationship to God to be eminently real. Further, I witnessed the love that she and her wife Dana shared, a selfless, generative love that seeks and enables the best in each other, the kind of love that I prayed would be mine someday. I could not discount her realities, and yet my house of faith told me that two things that she embodied, gay and Christian could not be so. I could remain dogged in my commitment to preserve the brick house where I'd set up camp, slathering mortar on crumbling bricks, or I could be the hermit crab. I could find a new home or inversion of my Christian faith, a new version of my understanding of marriage. I left my shell and found a new one. Iconoclastic faith, breaking one frame and creating one anew. A few years passed and I found myself a parent, a new mother in a marriage, a marriage that I could not find home in. I felt the cracks in the shell and knew I could stay no longer. I had lost strength to mix mortar and lost hope in the unyielding edifice of a faith that prioritized a structure of marriage over the well-being of individuals who inhabited it. I left the shell to find a new one a faith that fit my growing and changing understanding of myself, of my family, of my faith, iconoclastic faith, breaking one frame and creating one anew. I'm guessing that you have your own iconoclastic story. I'm guessing there were beliefs, stories, homes that served you at one time 
that offered you protection from this sometimes brutal world, that ensured distance between you and someone or something that was threatening, that offered a sense of meaning. We need these stories. We need these understandings. We need containers. In my work centered on child sexual abuse, we have come to understand trauma as that which is not integrated into our life story. Trauma is an experience that was too big, too complexifying, too chaotic, perhaps too horrific or excruciating to make sense of. We can't incorporate it into our story. We can't fit it into our house. But trauma relaxes its grip when we make sense of it when we find a home, when we find a frame. The frame is vital. And it is also true that as we grow and experience more life, we'll need to find new frames, new understandings, new homes. It's part of growing. Does this mean that the shell that used to offer us protection from a world and a needed sense of structure and meaning is bad? Of course not. It served us. May we offer it our humble gratitude for doing its job. The hermit crab cannot grow, even survive, in a home too big for its maneuvering. Might it be that as children or adults, we were forced into shells that stifled rather than contained, that hurt rather than protected our soft crab bodies? Likely for some of us. And in this moment, I am holding your tender and beloved heart and mind, asking the spirit to come ever so close. Or it might be that you were catapulted out of a shell that you loved with no choice of your own. For whatever the reason, might we not fit into yesterday's house anymore? Likely. And is the house that we occupy today ours 10 years from now? Let's hope not. And is your exact shell the one that our children will occupy? God forbid. We see in a glass dimly, if the hermit crab is not growing out of his home and finding a new one, he is dying. Or as Maya Angelou says, do the best you can. And then when you know better, do better. I wanna tell you something else that BBC showed me. I watched the fascinating way that hermit crabs shift into new shells. Those hermits have a raucous party. They line up in a row, literally from biggest to smallest, and then the biggest gets out and the one directly behind him gets out and they keep shifting. They get to try on and borrow the houses of their bigger siblings. Might we learn from this too? Might we occupy our bodies, live out loud, Share that ever so brightly that we know to be true, albeit humbly, in order that others too may find places of home. Our experiences, our stories, and our truth-telling can offer solace, meaning-making, protection, and courage to others maneuvering their path. And this can be painful and scary work. Looking back, I can share with ease and gratitude about my shifts in my faith, specifically connected to marriage. But in the midst of it, I was deeply afraid. 
I did not feel like a hermit crab sidled next to a big hermit crab sister who effortlessly slid from one cracked shell into a warmed up capacious one. To the contrary, I lurched myself from one shell with no other option in sight. It felt like a desperate and necessary leap. Looking back, I'm so glad I did. But my iconoclastic faith did not end a decade ago. As a parent and partner and daughter and neighbor and befriend, my beliefs and understandings do not hold what I experience. I'm given the chance to return to mixing mortar to defend. And sometimes this is the option I need. I need that particular shell. It's serving life. Wonderful. Stay there. But likely over time, as I listen to that of God in me and that of God in others, I'm given the opportunity to grow and to find a new understanding that reflects more truly, more wholly, my growing approximation of truth. But friends, I want not only to talk about our one and precious life, I also want to talk about our one and precious collective life. I believe that our country is in a moment of potential reckoning. To continue with the metaphor of a hermit crab, might you imagine with me that as a country, we have found and created one giant shell where all of us little crabs are seeking home. It's as though years ago, those at the top of the shell intentionally drew a line in that shell of separation, a line we continue to reinforce, a line of privilege where those on top of the line enjoy the privileges of fresh air, of clean water, of home ownership, of a living wage, of ample health care, of quality education for our children, and those below the line are deprived of these things. In this country, we have created a home substantiated by destructive and false notions of racial difference. When Christopher Columbus and European colonizers came to Turtle Island, a home to somewhere around two to 18 million Native Americans, they named it a discovery of America. By 1900, as a result, Whites of right supremacist beliefs that endorsed genocide, rape, and murder, only 238,000 Native Americans remained. Our founding fathers, while claiming that all men are created equal, espoused that Black people were not fully human and thus authorized the kidnapping and enslavement of Black people for the sake of a growing economy. Over Thomas Jefferson's life, he enslaved 600 Black people. Eight of the 12 first presidents of the United States were slave masters. Lincoln did not end racist practices when he signed the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863, nor did Union soldiers two and a half years later on Juneteenth, Juneteenth when they forced the last state of the Union, Texas, to abide by the proclamation. These beliefs did not end, but they found new conduits. Conduits such as Jim Crow laws, which were enacted in the late 19th century through 1965. The Supreme Court, with the support of millions of citizens, upheld the false claim of separate but equal. While schools, public places, buses and trains, restaurants, restrooms and water fountains were indeed separate, they were anything but equal. When Jim Crow officially ended only 55 years ago, other racist policies took its place. Things such as redlining, 
redlining, the practice of government surveyors literally drawing a red line on maps encircling neighborhoods that they called hazardous. Neighborhoods that no surprise were comprised largely of black and brown people. And then they authorized banks to either deny loans to these hazardous area homes or to offer predatory high loans. Home ownership or saving money for children, for one's children, would be virtually impossible if you lived in these areas. But what about our state? Slavery was banned in 1844, but in that same year, Oregon passed a law that prohibited black people from living in this territory. If a black person broke that law, they were punished with 39 lashes every six months until they left. Oregon passed laws barring black people from entering or moving into the state, and later it was legal for black people to own law, land or make contracts. Oregon was successful in its efforts to make become a white state. This was our home. This was our shell. But this is still our shell. Oregon's efforts to become a white state had profound success. Today, Portland is still known as the biggest white city in the country. In the US, if you are Black, Hispanic, or Native American, you are two to three more times likely to live in poverty than if you're a white American. Black women die three times more than white women while giving birth. 73% of white families own homes versus 53% of Native families, 52% of Hispanic families, and around 40% of Black families. And Black men are two and a half times more likely to be killed by the police than white. And with COVID, today, Hispanic people, Native Americans, and especially Black people are dying at disproportionate rates. The shell is cracked. In Oregon and our country, we need a new home. In my national and local movement building work, we talk a lot about centering the last girl. The idea is, is as we seek justice and healing, we need to center the person whose society oppresses the most whose society deems the least of these. In other words, when we're building our, our house, we need not ask the little crabs who sit on the, on the top of the line to design the plans. Instead, we look to those cramped in the corner, the ones being pushed out, the ones situated dangerously between the cracks. We look to the one whose neck is under an unyielding knee. We look to the ones who cannot breathe. In our home, our policies and systems of schooling and policing and taxing and immigration, we need to center around those God-bearing friends who are most oppressed. We seek a home that radically affirms and nurtures that of God in each child of God, which is every human. And when we build our home asking and listening, what do you on the edges need? We end up with a house big enough for all people for all the little crabs. It's not a simple reorganization of the crabs in our current broken shell, flip-flopping those who reside under to the top and those who reside on the top to the bottom. Instead, we are centering the needs of those at the sides and then creating a bigger home with room for all. Of course, this is not simple work, but we can continue or perhaps start to take steps today 
as a Quaker community, we have a profound cloud of witnesses. We have people from who to, whom to draw strength and courage, from whom to borrow shells, with whom to partner. We can look to George Fox and his friends who use plain speech to reject hierarchy and caste in human relations. In, those early, in the early 19th century, people referred to non-royalty as thee and thou, and to royalty and people of higher esteem as you. Quakers rejected the notion that societal status informed human value, and thus referred to all people, royal or not, as thee and thou. As you can imagine, the little crown-wearing crabs did not appreciate this. We can look to Quakers such as Thomas Garrett, a friend of Harriet Tubman and a Quaker station master on the Underground Railroad, who aided some 2,750 enslaved Black people on their escapes to freedom, including Harriet Tubman's parents. And we can look to the leadership and partnership of Quakers today, Quakers in our community who are doing the work of creating new containers that affirm that of God in each of us rather than refuting it. People such as Paloma, who is contributing to immigration reform in our state, co-conspiring with people without US citizenship to create shells of safety, protection, and flourishing. People such as Erica Huber, who loves and lavishes children, many black and brown and without financial or political resource, with being seen and with art that enable, enables them to create and express. People such as Darlene Ortega, who courageously fights often with great cost to herself for equity inside a legal system marked with racist and classist structures. And people such as my black brother, Mel Phillips and Christy who are on the call right now, who are lead, launching collective online gathering healing sessions for Oregonians to recognize and heal personal and systemic racism, and then to pivot to love with accountability. I believe that we are called to iconoclastic living and leading and loving in our one and precious life and in our one and precious collective life. And we follow Jesus, who may be the very example of an iconoclast. From his birth, a Messiah born in a stable for cows, to his youth, hanging at the temple rather than staying with his traveling group and sending his parents into a spiral of worry and confusion to his ministry of healing on the Sabbath, hanging with sex workers and tax collectors and those considered to be sinless, sinful and less than, and speaking riddles that both confounded and compelled. Jesus seemed to be embodying Isaiah 55, eight, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. Or in other words, beloved little hermit crabs, time for a new shell. We do not have to create and find these shells on our own. As Quakers, we recognize that God is in us, closer than our breath, in and part of our very being. We are not alone. God is with us. And we are with this. Look on this screen. Look at each square. This is our community. These are our friends. May we be with and for each other supporting and partnering with each other as we occupy, find, and build capacious homes that are worthy of God in you, me, and us.
friends, I have some queries for you as we move into open worship. Um, and I just thought I would share a little more about open worship as Mark started, because some of you may, will be less familiar. Quakers recognize that there's that of God in each person. We sometimes refer that to that as the inner teacher or the inner light. This is our source of authority. We don't need a priest or a set-apart minister because we believe all of us are ministers with direct access to the Spirit. Therefore, at the heart of each of our services, we make time and space for us to listen to God within us. We have this radical belief that the Spirit speaks to us, and this message can be for us personally or for the collective group. So we sit in silence, we listen deeply, and we share when we feel led. To support the listening, the message giver, who happens to be me today, offers queries, questions that are intended to help you connect with God. They are invitations, not mandates, meant only to support the important work of listening. I often find it helpful to approach open worship how I approach meditation, closing my eyes, taking some time to settle into my body, stretching my neck or rolling my shoulders and taking some deep breaths. So for our queries, which I'll write in the chat box too in a few moments. First, what are your experiences of leaving home and finding ones anew? What wisdom do these experiences have for you and for our community? Second, are there places of home that you find today? How does this home serve life? And lastly, what shells, personal or collective, might be in need of shifting? How might you contribute to shell shedding and shell building that nurtures that of God in you and in those whose society oppresses?